1: What's up? Welcome in. It's Friday. We're feeling good here on Best on the Board. Michael Beller and Casey Joyner here with you to dive into the remainder of the Week 8 slate. 14 games still available for us after the Packers. As six-and-a-half-point underdogs go into Arizona, knocking from the ranks of the unbeaten, do it without Devontae Adams and Alan Lazard and Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Aaron Rodgers cleans up a whole lot of things that aren't available to you. So a fun start to Week 8. Let's keep things rolling here. Casey, how are you doing today? Doing fantastic. It was a fun game last night. And that game shows, <clears throat> excuse me, if you can power run
0: the football, that that can make up for a lot of problems. You got 12 in a power running game, you can handle just about anything.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's absolutely true. We saw that. A game that, you know, I mean, it was close for sure. I mean, it was in the Cardinals had some opportunities and obviously uh, they had that opportunity to not only tie the game, but win it at the very end. But Packers, man, pretty much, uh, you know, in the lead the whole game and just. Aaron Rodgers. It's what they do. Matt LaFleur, too, deserves a ton of credit. His team has now played seven games without Devontae Adams, who plenty of us, myself included, would say is the number one receiver in the NFL. Seven games over the last three seasons without him, 7-0 and in those games, 6-1 and against the spread. That was their third outright win as an underdog without Devontae Adams in those seven games. So start giving Matt LaFleur the credit he deserves as well. We've got three picks apiece for you here on this episode of Best on the Board, looking ahead to the rest of the Week 8 slate. Uh, KC, why don't you get us started with one of the big favorites on the slate on Sunday?
0: Oh, we're talking Cincinnati minus 10.5 over the Jets. I do not understand how this spread isn't any bigger because I keep looking at, okay, where's the path for victory for the Jets (laughs) in this one? they lose 54 to 13 last week they got obliterated and they have got Mike White is going to be back back Mike White who'd never thrown an NFL pass before last week why the Jets didn't have a better backup quarterback, who knows? They finally figured out, hey, we need to solve that problem. They trade for Flacco. They can't play him this week, so they're stuck with White again. Their defense is terrible. They just gave up 551 yards in addition to the fifty-four points. So it wasn't just that the Patriots got some, you know, a couple of lucky plays. I mean, they got you know, this was a team that was moving on them mm-hmm. all game long. You got Mixon, you got P Ryan now, you've got a two-headed backfield, you. you got Burrow, you got Jamar Chase. I just I can't understand why. I mean, guys, Cincinnati's better than than New England. I mean, this is a much better team, and they just beat New uh, the Jets by forty one points. So I think the uh, I think the Jets are lucky if they scored thirteen. And if they score that many, I just can't see a way where they keep Cincinnati below twenty four. So I'd love the ten minus
1: ten and a half. Yeah, this is uh, an interesting one. Corey Davis. We're getting word on Friday, looking like he's probably not going to play either. And we just you know we don't want to overrate the impact of one wide receiver, but I mean. Where, where do the Jets find any offense? I mean, where do, where do they find? They, they have trouble finding it with Zach Wilson and Corey Davis in there, let alone without Zach Wilson and Corey Davis. So it's going to be, I think, very tough sledding for the Jets in this game. And uh, yeah, I'm surprised that we're not seeing this up closer to two touchdowns. Hard to install them as anything bigger than that. But you know, like for example, we've got the Rams favored by 14 and a half against the Texans. And I think you could argue that there is something close to a similar gap between Rams and Texans and Bengals and Jets. Maybe not exactly the same, but yeah, I think this one feels more like a 12.5 or 13.5 point spread to the 10.5 that it sits at, and also surprised KC that it's basically been at this all week. This was the the opening number was, it was either nine and a half or 10. I can't remember exactly, but it, it really hasn't moved from what the opening number was. And so I'm surprised that we haven't seen it creep up a little bit more and get a little bit more Bengals love on there. But I'm with you on this one. This is a, com- a pick that I would be comfortable making as well with the Bengals laying the 10 and a half against the Jets this week. For my first pick, I'm going to one that I've been on all week, KC. I wrote about this in my early lines column back on Monday Buccaneers minus four and a half at the Saints. This is a spread that has bounced around a little bit, but really just from four and a half to five and a half and back to four and a half again at BetMGM. So you're seeing plenty of you know, maybe some some money coming in on the Bucks, and then some money coming back in on the Saints, whatever the case might be, it's basically been sitting at this four and a half all week, and this is a pick that I feel absolutely comfortable with KC. Really, nothing seems like it's going to slow down the Buccaneers' offense, and I know that the Saints have been a bugaboo for both Tom Brady last year and Marshawn Lattimore has been that for Mike Evans over their entire careers, but... I don't really care. I'm not going to put too much into the past history when we've seen what we've seen from the Buccaneers from basically the second half of last season through this very moment. This offense is, you know, I would say the most bankable in the NFL in that they are pretty much able to do what they want to do every single time they step on the field. And it almost doesn't matter who's out there and who isn't out there for them. We saw it last week, no Antonio Brown against a Bears defense that has played pretty good. You know, Bears can say plenty about their offense, but the defense has been pretty decent this season. Buccaneers roll up 38 points like it's nothing. And so while I understand the Saints have a good defense, I know that they know this Buccaneers team well. Similar personnel to last year and this year, and they slowed them down in both those games a season ago. I just don't really see it this season, and I definitely don't see the Saints being able to keep up offensively if the defense can't keep the Bucs in check. I like the Bucs to win this one relatively comfortably. The
0: way you're going to beat the Bucs if you're going to beat them this year is you've got to attack that secondary. you got to have ways to go after it because that's their weakness right now. <clears throat> Their run defense is still fantastic, and the Saints aren't going to be able to attack that run defense very effectively. I don't think so. In fact, the Saints aren't actually not going to be able to attack that pass defense very effectively. Yep. Also, I'm a bit concerned. The Saints just drafted, just traded for Ingram because they've been giving Camara all these, all these carries, all these carries, all these carries. And you look at his history; it's like he's not designed to be a bell cow running back. He's designed to be a pass catcher. He's not designed to get all this <clears throat> in between the tackles work. And the thing is, that tells me that maybe they think he's starting to wear down a little bit. So if he's starting to wear down a little bit, that says something that the running game isn't going to be quite as impactful either. So I look at all of it together and say they're just, I look matchups wise, the Saints just don't have to, don't have the weapons I think that they need to be able to beat the Buccaneers. So I'd like your pick on this.
1: Yeah, it's that's really what it comes down to here. And like the number, like forget it, like it doesn't really scare me really. I mean, the, I think the Buccaneers are at least a touchdown better no matter where this game is being played. So Buccaneers going to be my first pick for the record, minus four and a half at the Saints. <laughs> All right, KC, let's get back to the picks here. Uh, Your second pick for us on this show. This is a fun one. I I, I love what we're doing in this show. We are both picking a couple of the bottom feeders, three-and-a-half-point underdogs on the road. Or no, yours is at home. Mine's on the road, but uh, still. Uh, The 0-7 Lions, three-and-a-half-point dogs against the Eagles at home, but you are buying in. Let's hear the case for the Lions. I am buying in. It's as much of the case against the
0: Eagles as it is for the Lions, because it's sure. seven games in the Knicks area out of his tenure. It's already starting to look like a failed experiment. He's a first-time head coach, first-time play caller. He's got a defensive coordinator who had one season worth of defensive play calling, and it shows because his defense is playing terrible. His offensive game plan doesn't match. Shiriana's offensive game plan doesn't match what they do. They should be a run-heavy team, but they've got a misguided idea of, of football analytics and they're being a pass-heavy team. doesn't match their personnel at all. Mm-hmm. So you add that to the defense just playing Bemba dope break, but they're breaking all the time. They've got a rookie special teams quarter, too. They've been hit or miss there. So, But, again, you've got all these woes here. I get the sense because I, I, I write about the Eagles for the Philadelphia Inquirer. And I get about I get the sense in just reading all the you read between the lines, the players are starting to lose faith in the coaches. It's never a good sign. That's certainly not the case of the lines of Dan Campbell. They're playing very hard for him. They nearly beat Buffalo. They nearly beat Minnesota. They went on the road last week against the Rams and threw everything they could at them with every trick play they could find and, and stayed close in a game that they frankly talent wise shouldn't have stayed close in. I think they're a lot closer in talent to Philadelphia. I think Philadelphia's playing below its talent level. I look at all this, and then you say, okay, I think Detroit's actually going to win the game outright. And then if you say, okay, well, you're going to give them plus three and a half, I just think that they're going to be able to do this because where they're at as a team and where, or the way that they're playing, by the way, their defense, one other thing, their defense has been terrible this year, but actually the last few games it's been solid not not great but like (laughs) they were they were legendarily bad at the beginning of the year talent wise they were the worst team in the league and they probably still are but they've covered up those issues they found ways good coaching to cover up those issues so start adding all these together and i just think detroit's going to play to its talent level and philadelphia isn't so i think
1: again detroit's going to win this outright i believe This was a game that I was on as well until some of the numbers started trickling in and we're seeing the Lions as one of the most popular public dogs. And that always is something that scares me away. So it's a stay away from me. Uh, Does that sort of information trip you up at all? Um, again, I just—it—it it has to. It's more because
0: that I, I think the Eagles. When I see how bad that they're playing, and I really truly think they're just going to lose outright. So, whatever anybody, wherever the line moves, I just think that the Eagles are going to play to that to that level. I think their players are are starting to check out on their coach, and when that happens, you know you're going to get a terrible performance from the team. So, I I really I, I would my my insights would be independent of the lines because I just think that Philadelphia's playing that badly.
1: They certainly haven't done anything this season to be laying three and a half on the road regardless of who the opponent is, and that's exactly what this line is asking them to do. So you go the other way. Lions plus three and a half against the Eagles. For my second pick, KC, I'm going to one of the best games that we've got available to us this week. It's Colts and Titans, and I'm going to take the under of 15 and a half. This one is actually crept up. It opened at 49, and I actually liked it under 49, and so uh, I wrote this up in my early lines column, and so when we're just talking about why we try to get on lines early, I'll admit I sort of have to take a loss because now I'm sitting with an under 49 ticket when I could have an under 50 and a half ticket at BetMGM, but, you know, them's the breaks. That's what we got to deal with sometimes in the gambling world. Why do I like the pick in general? Because these are two teams that not only want to live with the run KC, but can live with it and win, and we've seen that from both of these teams from the Titans going back to, you know, years ago, basically the uh, the first, uh, uh, the beginning of the Derrick Henry owns the NFL era. And from the Colts, really just over the last few weeks with Jonathan Taylor getting more significantly involved uh, in the game plan. And so these are two teams that the stats tell you want to run the ball and can do so successfully. Let's start out With a great database that Ben Baldwin runs. It's a rushing and passing frequency database. And basically, what we're looking at here is how often do teams throw the ball on early downs in neutral win probability situations? Both teams having at least a 20% win probability. The Titans. Number one in run rate in those situations. Uh, The Colts are 14th in that, but bump it up to 30%. And now we see the Colts jump up to 10th while the Titans are still number one. This is a game that has bounced back and forth between either team being favored by one point. Right now it's Colts minus one and a half, and that's the largest spread we've seen in this game. So we're expecting this to be a close game. We're expecting both teams to be living in that minimum 30% win probability for the entire game. And so I think that means a lot of running on first down, a lot of running on second down, a lot of, so long as they have a high success rate running the ball, teams both leaning on the run, and that leads to, low-scoring games. It's a little bit different with these teams because you have a couple of running backs in Derrick Henry and Jonathan Taylor who can both break big plays, who can turn a run play and do something like a pass play because of their breakaway ability. But I still think these are two teams that live with the run, that want to live with the run, and can do so successfully against the opposing defenses. And so that's why I think that it's a fun game. It's a close game. It's ultimately a game that's played in the mid to low 20s, not the low 30s or high 20s. And so I like it being under the 50 and a half here
0: thing that's interesting for the titans is right now derek henry is on pace for 507 touches this year <laughs> no it's nobody's ever done it yeah. he can do it look last week though he he has what, 86 yards i believe it was rushing he had like yeah. 29 carries I'm like yeah yeah a lot of touches You think, and the touches, I think the touches, again, he's Derrick Henry, so nothing's going to surprise us what he does. But Mm -hmm. 507, nobody's ever done that. Uh, James Wilder, I believe, has the record right now in 1984. He had 492 touches, if I remember correctly. Nobody's ever got 500. He can do it. But can he do it at that elite level? And this is eventually going to start wearing him down. And when I see last week, I'm not saying he's wearing down, but it wouldn't surprise me he's wearing down just a bit. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, if he wear down just a bit, he's so central to what they want to do offensively, so central to the as an offense, that if he's wearing down at all, it just takes that cap of, okay, can this team be 27 to 31? I think if he's at 85%, 90%, I don't think they're there. I think their odds of getting up to 27 to 31, which I think it would need to happen for this thing to go over. Would be would drop significantly or at least notably. So I like it from that perspective too. I think
1: Henry, like I said, is wearing down just a bit at this point. Let me throw out a couple more stats before we move on. These ones coming from True Media. Colts are second in rush EPA. The Titans are ninth. The Colts are fourth in first downs per rush. The Titans also ninth in that as well. So, again, two teams that want to run the ball and can do so can win it running the ball. And that's the biggest reason why I think this game stays under. One more pick, a piece from each of us. Take it away, KC. Your last pick for Week 8.
0: Atlanta, minus three over Carolina. Um, It's incredible that the Falcons only favored by three points in this matchup. I think people are not recognizing where these teams are right now. Over the past four games, Carolina has tallied 200 or more net passing yards only once. They've Mm -hmm. given the ball away nine times. The Panthers have allowed 25 or more points in three of those contests, and they gave up not 100, they gave up 198 or more rushing yards on two occasions. Carolina's pass blocking is terrible right now. Their pass rush has all but disappeared. That three-three-five, that 3-3-5 stack uh, setup that they play that gives them really creative blitzes, it threw people for a loop the first few weeks. Now they've picked up on it. Now they know how to block it, and so their pass rush is doing terrible. Atlanta. They won three out of four in part because their offense finally looks like what we expected an Arthur Smith-led platoon to look like. It's starting to, to hit on all cylinders, and Pitts is looking like an offensive rookie of the year candidate, which we expected early in the year and wasn't panning out, and it is now. And you add all this together, and I'm just like, I cannot understand why people people are still thinking Carolina is what they were in weeks one, two, and three. The public is still thinking that, and they're not recognizing that Carolina is a much worse team than they are, and Atlanta people are thinking that they were what earlier this year, I believe, as well. And they're saying, okay, that they're expecting those teams to be even and I think that where they're trending right now Atlanta is probably almost a touchdown better than Carolina at this point point. and again when you're having to talk about Sam Darnold and justifying him being in the lineup he was playing pretty well the first week of the season now the coach is having to literally justify this is why we have him and there is rumors that they're <laughs> mm-hmm. wanting to look for another quarterback mid-season I mean this thing is starting to fall apart for the Panthers so I like Atlanta to cover on
1: this it's a much different offense when you don't have Christian McCaffrey back there being the engine of everything, and we're seeing that come true. And that's really not a knock on Chuba Hubbard. It's more just the building up of uh, running backs don't matter in case they do, right? And uh, and <laughs> Christian McCaffrey, definitely one of the guys they do. And speaking of that, on the other side of this game, I'll throw out a bonus pick. You still got Mike Davis sitting at a uh, prop for his total yards from scrimmage, rushing plus receiving yards on BetMGM, a 51.5, and, and it's like – I mean, Cordell Patterson has taken control of that backfield at this point of the game. So uh, I, I like the under on Mike Davis for 51 and a half total yards. Last pick of the show here, Casey, you're already on the Lions. Can I interest you in the Jacksonville Jaguars plus three and a half at the Seahawks? We've all watched it. We've all been forced to watch it the last two weeks with the Seahawks in primetime. What is the difference between a Russell wilson list Seahawks team and the Jaguars? It's not three and a half points. It certainly is not three and a half points. I'll tell you that much. Maybe there's a difference. If there's a difference, do the Jaguars deserve being the plus team? Because, I mean, look at this. The Seahawks over these last two weeks with uh, with Geno Smith as the starter, negative 0.13 offensive EPA per play. On the season, the Jaguars are at negative 0.08 offensive EPA per play. So both bad. But the Jaguars slightly better. Then let's factor in that these are both below average defenses, uh, not terrible defenses. Certainly, Seattle's on a terrible defense, but below average defenses. If you want to put EPA per net EPA per play on both sides of the ball into the equation, we're basically coming out at relatively even when you compare the Geno the Geno led Seahawks with the Jaguars for the full season. Okay, let's start there. Plus three and a half on the Jaguars. So we're already getting, I think, a little bit of a boost. Then. Let's compare the quarterbacks in this game. Which one do you want to trust, uh, Casey? You want to trust the journeyman who hasn't been a starter since 2014? Or do you want to trust the first overall pick in this year's draft who seems to be turning a corner over these last three weeks? First three games of the season, Trevor Lawrence, 54.2% completion percentage, 669 yards, 5.67 yards per attempt, five touchdowns, seven interceptions. Last three games, he has 8.12 yards per attempt, completing two thirds of his passes, almost 800 yards, two scores. One pick, he's also starting to run a little bit more and suddenly looking like a much different quarterback. A QB rating of at least 92.1 in all three of these games, those first three games of the season, a high of 70.1 in quarterback rating. Defenses about equal in the first three versus the second three. I think we're seeing Trevor Lawrence start to put some things together at the NFL level. So not only does he have the talent advantage over Geno Smith just flat out, but now we're starting to see Trevor Lawrence get a handle of the NFL game. Really like the Jaguars in this one. I think they win it outright.
0: I wouldn't be surprised to see that as well. And in, in Seattle, their defense is not very good. They're wanting to go conservative on offense because of this, and well, because they have to with their quarterback situation. And by the way, mm-hmm. uh, DK Metcalf still looks good, but uh, I'm, I'm sorry, well, um, lock it. Thank you, Tyler Lockett. <laughs> Tyler Lockett. What's yeah? He's just dis- he's disappeared so much. I can't even think of his name. He's he's terrible. His look at his metrics, <laughs> look at his numbers. He's still running vertical passes. If you go look at the yeah. routes run, you look in True Media and see, okay, what's he? He's running the vertical passes. They're still sending him downfield. He's doing ter- and he was doing terrible before Wilson got hurt. He's disappeared from this offense. So they don't have. They have one big play guy. You saw what happened last week. He hits one big play and then mm-hmm. that's it. So. I think the, ja- the Jaguars can, they, defensively, they can say, look, we just stopped Metcalf, the rest mm-hmm. of the people, we can survive that, and I don't think it's going to turn into that kind of, I think it's going to naturally play to a
1: low-scoring contest, and if that happens, yeah, I think the Jaguars give them three and a half, it's a good odd. Not only did they hit the one big play, just the one big play, and that was basically the entirety of Seattle's offense last week, but that was all DK. I mean, that was not a Geno Smith play, that was DK Metcalf <laughs> being awesome. <laughs> That's what that play was. And like as great as he is, you can't count on DK Metcalf being awesome to the extent of a ridiculous 74-yard touchdown every single week. That's just not going to happen. And then, yeah, Tyler Lockett, I mean, he is he's a great player in his own right. I think we have to acknowledge that he's partially a creation of Russell Wilson. And, like, how many players could do what Lockett has done the last few years if they had the benefit of playing with – if not the absolute best deep ball thrower in the NFL, one of the top three deep ball throwers in the NFL. I think a lot of guys could have done that had they had the opportunity to play with Russell Wilson. And so that's just the reality of this Seattle offense. Without Russ, the Jaguars' offense is better. I just think flat out, without Russell Wilson, the Jaguars have a better offense and certainly a better quarterback. I will take that team getting three and a half points even on the road. And that going to wrap things up on this episode of best on the board thank you so much for joining us for Casey Joyner I am Michael Beller thanks for being here have a great weekend enjoy all the football most importantly good luck and happy betting